So I want you would if you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. I could not quite finish chapter 3 last week, so I don't really like to start and stop in the middle of a thought, but this time it's just how it, it worked out. I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy 3, the last verse, verse 16. And we spend our time uh, mostly on that verse. And, and Paul says this, I'll read it. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And so we, we talked about those six things that are mentioned about God in this passage. When it says, first of all, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That simply means it's an indisputable fact. So without controversy means no one can deny it. It's an indisputable, people can deny whatever they want to deny. But he's saying that that phrase means it's an indisputable fact. And he, he speaks of six things. We talked about three last week, and then we'll move to the other three this week. He says the mystery of godliness. It's not the sense of we think of a mystery uh, novel or a program or something. It's not mysterious. It's a mystery in the sense that it's something ha that had been kept secret in the past, but now was revealed in Christ's coming. Okay? He was manifest in the flesh. That was a mystery, although there were little pro were prophecies scattered around over the ages in the Old Testament, but still it was kept secret until it was revealed. Okay? So that's all it means. It's not mysterious. It's something that God had chosen to, to keep secret until he revealed it. God was manifest in the flesh. We know that. that you know, that we, we spoke about this uh, a great deal last week. That is, that is key to believe that Almighty God, the Eternal Son, at some point, when in the fullness of time, when God saw that, it says in Galatians, that God sent forth His Son made of a woman, right? And He came to redeem them that were under the law. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Bible says. In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We could go on and on. It is a must, okay? These things are must in the sense of to be a Christian, to be born again, these are not peripheral issues. These are, these are fundamentals of the faith, that God Almighty was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. What does that mean? He was not justified in the sense that sinful men are justified, for he's a sinless God and holy and perfect. So it doesn't mean that, uh, that he was justified in the sense that he had to be made righteous, okay, and, and received justification. Justified here means that he was vindicated, so to speak. He was validated or vindicated or proven to be the Son of God in the Spirit, it says. That's the Holy Spirit. Primarily, well, he was, he was proven to be the Son of God, declared to be the Son of God with power, Paul says in Romans 1. But he, the, the miracles that he did, the words that he spoke, his birth, the fulfillment of every prophecy written about him in his first coming, his death and burial, and specifically, above all, would be the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He was raised by the eternal spirit of God and proven to be the son of God uh, in, in that resurrection uh, that just kind of topped off all the other proofs. And so he was, this is what we spoke about last week, manifest in the, in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, Okay, just real quickly, he was seen of angels. That sounds like no big deal, but it is a big deal. He was, before he ever came to this earth, 
The angels saw him, and he, they were around him. The angels announced his birth. The angels, uh, when he was actually born in Bethlehem, right, to the, to the shepherds. All through his life, at the temptation of the wilderness, when he uh, overcame, <coughs> excuse me, y'all pray for me, that <coughs> can come on really quickly. Uh, at the, when he overcame Satan in the wilderness, and, and then it says angels came and ministered to him at the end of that 40-day uh, period. <coughs> So anyway, we you know we've seen of angels, and at the resurrection, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that he was seen first of all of Cephas, or Peter, after the resurrection. Then he was seen of all the apostles, then about 500 brethren at once, who most of them were still living when Paul wrote that. Then he was seen of all the apostles again. Then he was seen of me, he says, as one born out of due time on the road to Damascus. But before any of those people saw him, the angels already saw him. They're the, one, they're the ones that rolled the stone away on the resurrection morning. And so that was sort of a recap. Uh, it was a much more detailed last Wednesday night, if you'd like to, to go back and listen to that. Scene of angels preached unto the Gentiles. Okay, so we know that this gospel is for all men. This gospel is not just for Jew, Jews. He is the savior of Israel, but he's the savior of all men. He's the savior of the world. In this gospel, Christ was preached and is continuing to be preached unto the Gentiles. When, the, when in the Great Commission, when the Lord says, go ye into all nations, that literally means, uh, when, when he says here, I'm sorry, preached unto the Gentiles, that literally means the nations. He was, he was preached unto the nations and is being preached unto the nations. And so it's through, the Lord has chosen for men to be born again and to pass from death to life through the foolishness of preaching. It's foolishness to, to men. It just sounds so, this monumental thing about receiving eternal life and so forth, it actually comes through what seems to be, to many men, to the wisdom of this world, it seems to be foolishness. You can tell me you preach a gospel and in that gospel, there's power to all who believe to become the sons of God, to become forgiven, to receive eternal life, to have all their past sins and transgressions forgiven and removed as though they never committed them and receive the spirit of Almighty God and their body become the temple of Almighty God. And that's all through the preaching. Yes, the preaching of the cross, the preaching of the gospel. But Christ was preached unto the Gentiles. The first time that we really see uh, and uh, let's put it this way, an intentional effort to bring the gospel to the Gentiles was the Lord revealing to Peter what I've called clean, don't you call unclean. It had to do with the foods that, that weren't uh, proper for the Jewish, under the old covenant, Jewish people to eat. And he had never eaten that. I don't think he was a bigot. I don't think anything like that. It, it was just he, he was continuing in what he knew until he, the revelation came. Three times, don't call unclean. And as he's talking, as he's thinking on the vision, you know, the uh, Cornelius' servants come and show, show up at his door. And he goes with them and takes some, some uh, Christian brothers with him. <clears throat> so we see Christ being preached to the Gentiles. And they believed. And they were saved. And they were, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul specifically 
was called to be the, the apostle to the Gentiles. He preached to lots of Jews, too. Every town he'd go into, he would start in the local synagogue and preach Christ. But he had a calling to preach to the Gentiles. So the last thing is here. Well, second to last thing. He was preached unto the Gentiles. The end of verse 16 says, believed on in the world. Again, that might sound like a, uh, something that's not that important, but he was believed on in the world. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved, right? On the, on the day when the lame man was healed at the temple, 5,000 people were saved. And then the Lord added to the church daily such as were saved. But simply I want to make this point which says believed on in the world. You have to... One has to believe in Jesus Christ, not with his head, but with his or her heart. These are simple things, but they're important things. The, when, when the Bible says in Romans 10 that if we uh, confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heads, is that what it says? No, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with that heart, uh, man believes unto righteousness. We believe with all of our hearts. If you believe with all your heart, you may be. Isn't that what uh, Philip told the, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? What hinders me to be baptized? Well, if you believe with all your heart, you may be. And so the, the believing is key, that we believe in our hearts. The Lord is just and the justifier of him that believes on Jesus Christ. So you have to believe, not agree with the facts, but believe in our hearts to, to repentance, re believe unto the saving of the soul. Okay, a genuine belief, it's a living faith in God. You've heard the examples before, you know, where we know the devils believe and tremble, but they're not saved, right? And you think about, it, we might be standing outside an airplane and we say, I believe that plane will fly and I believe that those pilots can fly it, but we really put our faith... When, in, in, in it when we get ourselves on the plane, right? When we board the plane and go. And that is really the type of faith. It's a full surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. It may be mustard-sized faith, mustard-seed-sized faith when we first believe, and that will grow. It has to be genuine, real faith, uh, a living faith and not a dead faith. So he's believed on in the world, received up into glory. And that's simply speaking of his ascension. So the Lord uh, was, came and lived, and then he died for our sins on the cross. He rose again the third day. We all know he, he was 40 days on the earth between the crucifixion and the ascension. And on, on the day uh, they ascended, he was received up into glory. I'll just read this from Acts chapter 1. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men, these were angels, stood by them in white apparel. And so the, the ascension of Jesus Christ is very important because it's because he lives with the resurrection and then where he is. Where is he now? Where is our Lord and Savior right now? Well, he's at the right hand of the Father. The right hand of the Father was a position of power. It's a position of authority. And that's, that's intentional. That's, that's where he is. And he is, what is he doing now in heaven? Jesus is our advocate. 
we had our whole series on the doctrine of Christ on Sunday mornings, and one whole sermon was on Christ being our advocate, our intercessor, our high priest, our go-between, our mediator. He's a mediator of a better of a better covenant, and so <clears throat> because <clears throat> excuse me, y'all, because he ascended, <clears throat> we have him in that position for us at the right hand of the Father. He ever lives. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost. They come to him, to come to God through him, because he ever lives to make intercession for them. Christ is making intercession for the saints according to the will of God, as the Holy Spirit is. And so that, that is an amazing one verse, okay? First uh, Timothy 3.16. And again, if you missed the, the first part of that, you might want to go back and listen to last week's sermon on that. Now, what I want to do is move into chapter 4. We will not get through the first, probably the first verse tonight. This is something that's relevant. All the Bible is relevant. It's especially relevant in the hour and the day in which we live. There's a biblical age. There's a biblical timeline, okay? God exists outside of that timeline, but men exist within that timeline, come and go and live and, and die and live and die and live and die and some are saved and some aren't and the Lord has these the different covenants with men but this age in which we live in is on the biblical description or timeline is what we would call the last days there's not the last of the last days the last of the last days would include the tribulation period but we're in the end times or the last days or the latter days or the end times. That is the time since Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That clock started ticking, so to speak, from the resurrection of Christ. And it will continue until the Lord comes again and, and sets up his kingdom on this earth. Okay, So we are living in that timeline. If you want to say we're here and there or here or here. If this is the, the end age or the end times, we're somewhere in there, and we're 2,000 years closer to it towards the end of that age than when this was written, okay? So we see the signs. We see there are spiritual signs. We're not to be ignorant. We don't have our heads stuck in the sand. We don't say, I don't want to know all that stuff. It's just scary, all that end times stuff. It's biblical. He wants us to know it. He wants us the best we can by the, the teaching of the Holy Spirit to understand there's a reason. So we'll know where we are and we will know what we're called to do and what we're looking for. If right now today I'm looking for the second coming of the Lord, if I'm looking for the Lord to ride in on a right horse, white horse, then I'm not understanding biblically where I am. There's a rapture that comes first, and then there's a seven-year tribulation period, and it ends at the Battle of Armageddon when Christ comes on a white horse. So I'm not looking for, right now, today, the clouds to, and every eye shall behold him. Behold, he cometh, and every eye shall see him, right? And they that, that crucified him and pierced him are going to wail. Revelations 1, that's the second coming. So we need to know where we are. We're close to that. We could be seven years from that. But there's some things that take place first, major things that take place. And so it's just interesting and it's important. And God wouldn't have given us these things if he didn't want us to know. He wouldn't have given us these things. And, and like I said, some people have that, 
They don't want to talk about it. To, to them, it's too divisive. And there's this camp of the believe in the rapture and this camp that doesn't. And this believes in a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Some think we're in the millennium right now. This is the millennium. They're amillennialists and so forth. It's important. God wants us to know that pantheology, right? It'll all pan out in the end is what they say. It's because they don't want to take the time to study it, to study it. If you would, if you and I would, and I'm not saying I'm an expert on it, but I can say this, the more I've studied, the more I've learned, the more I've studied, the more, uh, the more the pieces are starting to fall in place and the more, uh, the more I believe I understand it and, and, you know, it's taught by the Holy Spirit. All right, so let's look at this, this, this verse, let's just read the first verse. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Okay, last days, uh, end times, I said these are different names for the same time frame. Okay, the block of time, you would say. But it's increased. You say, well, there's always been deception. Didn't uh, Satan beguile, the serpent beguile Eve in the garden? Deception, right? Absolutely. It's nothing new. It's nothing new at all. Jeremiah spoke chapter after chapter on false prophets, okay? And false shepherds and pastors and their false doctrines. And we see it uh, all through the Bible. What's the difference now? The difference is, is that it's increasing. That shows us where we are. It hasn't plateaued off. It hasn't decreased. You can finally hardly find a false prophet or false teaching. No, you can find it. You can go to a Christian bookstore, unfortunately, and find it. But it's increasing. That is a characteristic of the end times. I know that you know this, but when the, the disciples talked to Jesus, he was sitting on the Mount of Olives just with his disciples. They were asking about the end of the age and when's the temple going to be destroyed and the sign of your coming. They really asked him three questions. And he says, first thing out of his mouth, take heed that no man deceive you. He wasn't talking to lost people. He was talking to his disciples that had confessed and professed their faith in him. And he says, take heed that no man deceive you. And the whole chapter inter interspersed in that whole uh, Olivet Discourse, he talks about many are going to come, many false prophets. If it were possible, even the very elect would be uh, deceived and so forth. So deception is a characteristic of the end times. And in this However many weeks we'll spend on this thought, probably this week and next week for sure, is the end times deception, its increase, and then its effectiveness. In other words, why, why does it really work? What makes somebody believe something that's not true? What's the power behind it? Okay, what's behind it that makes it effective? And it doesn't have to be effective, by the way. That's up to us. I'm going to do something a little different tonight. I don't spend my time uh, studying a lot of false doctrines. I have over the years, and I, I still do from, from time to time. This came to my attention just recently. I want to spend a few minutes on it. This would be like, all right, what, what's, what's false teaching or doctrine or prophet do you want to talk about today? You know, you could pick from myriads, right? I want to just talk about one tonight. 
just came to my attention, all right? There's a book called Conversations with God. Has anybody heard of this book, Conversations with God? It sounds probably pretty uh, harmless. It's sold in Christian bookstores, by the way. has been for close to 30 years now. I think there are 11, 11 different books in the series, if I'm not mistaken. The author is Neil Donald Walsh. But not, are they, not only are they sold in Christian bookstores, they're promoted in the schools under scholastic book clubs. Y'all remember? Y'all know the scholastic book club? I remember when I was in school, in elementary school, they would have a book fair. And it was a big deal. My parents would say, you can take this much money, you can uh, take this much money, and you can go uh, get this many books. And it was an exciting thing for a kid. I, I love to... To, to look at this stuff and read. Scholastic Book Club put out probably all these books at the time. To think about it, you can't carry a Bible in school, but the Scholastic Book Club in the public schools readily makes available and sells and promotes conversations with God. It shows, again, where are we on this timeline? Well, we're getting close. And so here, I'm going to talk about it just a little bit, but the first book in the series, this man, uh, Neil Donald Walsh, wrote in 1995. Conversations with God, the subtitle is Book One, and an, an Uncommon Dialogue. It spent over two and a half years on the New York Times bestseller list. Two and a half years, okay? In 2006, there was a movie made on that, that first book. And uh, it was the first in a series. I'm sorry, it was followed by eight more books. So all written under this, this title of Conversations with God. Now, the premise of the whole book is, is that God is speaking to Walsh, this author. And he's writing down what God is giving him. I think we already have something kind of like that right here, don't we? That the Lord's given us, that all scripture is given by scripture is given by inspiration of God. Well, he says it was a dialogue between God and Himself, and that God was speaking to him. He wrote it down, and his premise in all these books is that God is speaking to everyone all the time, and that Walsh, who's one of the few, or maybe the only one, according to him who began to listen. So, he didn't go to the Bible. He went to, he went to this, whatever was speaking to him. He wrote it down. He wrote the first book while struggling with thoughts of suicide and questioning the meaning of life. Okay, he claims, I'm not putting words in this man's mouth, okay? There's no reason to bash add to the error that's already there, okay? Walsh claims divine inspiration. He claims it. He said that God literally spoke over his right shoulder. He wrote down what he heard. Later in, a, in 2000, the year 2000, he was on, uh, being interviewed on CNN with Larry King, and he admitted that he couldn't be sure later if, if that was God speaking or not, 
could have been a product, he says, of his own subconscious. In conversations with God, Walsh says a voice told him that God is every is everything and everything is God. Now, it, it wouldn't take in any point in this, you're probably thinking in your mind, no, the Bible says this. The Bible says this. It would contradict it, right? Expose it. It's one of the things that the word of God does. It separates light from darkness and truth from error. We need to know it. We need to walk in it. Um, he says, God is everything and everything is God. Therefore, we humans are God. This is, these are quotes. Everyone around you is simply you in a different form. And we are all God. So Satan told the Eve in the, in the garden that you will be as God. Right, if you eat this, it's a common theme and a common lie. He also claims in this book that all life is eternal. Death is a great illusion. There is no judgment, no punishment, no hell. For there's no reason for any of that because there is no sin. After death, a person goes to a different level of existence in order to continue the evolution of the human soul. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. Walsh, is, he defends Hitler, his actions, in this line of teaching, it's just relativism, saying Hitler might be called evil, but only within the context of our human experience. Hitler was commissioned by God to show humanity itself for the purpose of lifting humanity above what it had become and what it had sunk to. That's quoted directly from the Larry King interview. So in Walsh's world, Hitler was just another thread of the tapestry, you know, which, which is moving humanity forward. A couple more quotes about this. According to the author, there's no right way to live or one way to come to God. My point is not just to say, okay, this is false. We know it's false. One of my points of this is how it's so accepted. New York Times bestseller for two and a half straight years, pushed in, in the, and promoted in the public schools, in the Scholastic Book Club and so forth. So this is a sign to me, one of millions, a sign of the day in which we live. No right way to live or one way to come to God. There are many ways and all of them are equally valid. All the gods of various religions are really the same God. Well, thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and the last and beside me there is no God. Walsh goes on to say that uh, this, is, this is almost funny. Walsh insists in his book, in the first ver uh, volume, that words cannot communicate truth. So think about it. In his first book, he had about 3,000 words, and he's saying that words cannot communicate truth. Truth comes as each individual consults with his or, own, his or her own feelings. We talked about that, right? 
I don't, how do you feel about that scripture? How does that scripture resonate with you? How do you feel about that passage? How do you feel about heaven or hell? It really doesn't matter how I feel about it. It matters if I believe it and stand upon it and receive it as being from God. Everyone is right. No one is wrong. Contradictory, as he puts it, truths are not a problem in his, uh, in his logic. He says it's, it's interesting for a man, uh, as I said, who's given the world nearly 3,000 pages of words. I said 3,000 words. 3,000 pages of words to state what he says can't com- truth can't com- be communicated in words. A couple of more quotes from this book. Just keep your ears open. You might have heard of the book. It may come across your path. It may come home with your school kid, your child one day from school, okay? You, you take a stand. Take a stand. Don't just go with it. This is from the book. Remember, God's speaking to him. And so uh, over his shoulder, and he's writing it down. This is in his book. Why am I a lesbian? God answers, God answers, you were born that way because of genetics, just like you were born right-handed and born with brown eyes. Go out and celebrate your differences. This is quotes. I do not forgive, I do not need forgiveness because, oh, this is quoting from God. I do not forgive anyone because there's nothing to forgive. No such thing as right or wrong exists. And that is what I've been trying to tell everyone. Don't judge people. The rule is judge not lest you be judged. Okay. Spent quite a few minutes on that. I just want to have a good, I don't know, we we could look at anything. We could have picked Mormonism. We could have looked at anything. But this is something that uh, masquerades itself as being truth as being some way to have a relationship with God we've already been given that and we are to walk in that and it's nothing but sheer rebellion to refuse that it's just rebellion and he's probably made a whole lot of money if he's had nine books and New York Times bestsellers from this but it's it's a deception okay last day's deception I think it back over the last 20 years book called the shack and they made a movie out of that one. It's horrible, okay? Oh, it helped me come to know God in a more personal way. No, it didn't. It was a, it was a, uh, it was a fictional book, and it had nothing to do with the God of this Bible. Blue Light Jazz and, and, and The Shack, and what are some other ones? Now there's the series about The Chosen put out by the Mormons, it's not of God. It's not of God. It helps me get to know Jesus in a more personal way. No, you're looking at actors and some thoughts that somebody, a scriptwriter, had. It's not Jesus. Okay? It's not Jesus. And so, anyway, it's end times deception. Some is so blatant, and you look at it, and you say, I would never fall for that. And some is a little, huh, maybe. And some of it is, is really tough to tell. You better know the Lord. 
You better be filled with the Holy Spirit. You better study to show yourself approved, and so should I. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to stay in the truth as it is in Christ, as it is in Christ Jesus. I don't live in fear. I don't wake up thinking, oh, no, I might be deceived today. A, a demon might come along and deceive me. I don't live that way, and I don't live in fear. I pray. I keep my eyes on Jesus. I stay in his word. I walk in what I know to be true from the Bible, from Almighty God. Okay? So... Uh, it's a good place to stop, but it's a, it's a prophetic warning when he says, now the spirit speaketh expressly. You know what he's saying there? And I'll close with this thought. Expressly means for a specific purpose. purpose. It means it's not symbolic. You know, there are types and shadows all through the Bible. This is not one of them. He's saying the Holy Ghost is telling you something straight up. It's for a specific purpose. It means uh, it's of tremendous importance, and it means pay close attention to. Pay close attention to this, okay? It's not a figure of speech. The Holy Spirit speaks expressly for a specific purpose. It's not symbolic. Pay close attention to this. In the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And we're going to pick up on that next week. So I just want us to be thankful. I, I don't, when, when I, I do preach or any preacher would preach on deception or end times deception or false doctrines or teachings, there's no real joy in naming a, 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 a man's name, Neil Donald Walsh, okay? Uh, there's a spirit behind it. He has given himself over to, to it. I evidently wrote nine books on it. He's blaspheming the Lord. He is speaking things that are out and out lies that are contrary to what Almighty God has said. And we are told to mark those. Do I spend my whole life marking the false? No. But when the occasion arises and when we're to do it, we're to do it. To mark those that cause divisions and offenses contrary to sound doctrine. Not contrary to my feelings or how I think church ought to be done or anything like that. Contrary to sound doctrine doctrine so you say so you put sure put a lot of importance on doctrine well yes we do the lord does doctrine is what we believe that's what doctrine means it's teaching okay so i'm going to close with that d if you come and so y'all we're going to pick up on that uh, next week and go through probably verses one and two about deception and how we're guarded from it and how we're protected and what makes it so effective and also the fact, very simply, you don't have to be deceived. It's not inevitable. Oh, goodness, everybody's going to fall away. It's not what the Bible says. To some shall. And you don't have to be one of the victims of it. That's your own choice. That's your own choice and my own choice to walk in the truth or not. To give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and fables and turn our ears from the truth or to stay in the truth and walk in it. That's our choice. Amen. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. Paul says, uh, the author of Hebrews, we're not of those that draw back to perdition. We don't have to end up there shipwrecked in our faith. Okay, so y'all stand with me. Dee's just going to play. And the altars are open. Just come and thank the Lord tonight. Thank the Lord for being in the truth uh, and for the truth of his word. Pray for people. Pray for churches, y'all. They're 
already starting to get off in different things. Not every church and not every pastor, not every believer, not every Christian author, but some. We know some. We see it with our eyes. We hear. Pray for them. Pray for God to open their eyes. Pray for God to stop it. Pray for God to protect the people sitting under that. Pray that we'd be holy and humble in this day, but also bold as a lion to stand for truth, to know the word of God and to teach it and preach it and proclaim it rightly to others. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Oh God, how we love you and thank you, Lord. You said sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. No, God, we want to stand in the truth of your word. We have the Holy Ghost, the spirit of truth, to teach us and guide us and give us discernment and to warn us and to counsel us and comfort us and to keep us in the way we should go. We have the voice of our good shepherd saying, here's the way, walk ye in it. God, I pray we would be an obedient people in this hour. And we would be a people that solely and wholly follows Jesus Christ, Lord. We pray for those around us that maybe not sitting under solid, sound doctrine, God, that you'd have mercy, God, that you'd bring them out and place them where they can be taught the truth, Lord. Help us never to ignore the discernment that you give us, God. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, God.